talking about sought in the shadows or this whole idea of following Jesus and all the different places that Jesus have been and who he's interacted with. And uh, today, uh, the message title is called Sought in the Shadows. Um, and it's really, that's kind of the summary of the story of Nicodemus, a man named Nicodemus, and his seeking out Jesus and what happened there. And so really, the baseline of this message day and the, the baseline of that story, the real thing I want to key in on today is how important the introduction that happened for Nicodemus to God was that day and what we can learn from it. Now, all of you know that introductions are important. I'm sure that there have been times in your life, you know, where you've been introduced or someone was going to introduce you to someone else and you were like, eh, I, you know, you're a little nervous about what are they going to say, you know, how, how are they going to present me, or, or you've asked a question maybe about something and someone introduces a subject material to you and you realize that they were so excited about it, they like, it was like a 30-minute like death by information and you were like, I just wanted an introduction to it. I didn't want the whole thing, right? I wasn't, I wasn't applying for an all-day lecture. You know that introductions are important. They make a big impression. I remember when uh, Susie and I first started dating, um, Susie, would, she was singing a lot, and so she, would, she was singing with her cousins, and so they would travel around different concerts, and I was just the boyfriend back then, so who knows if I was sticking around, so I didn't even really get an introduction at first on stage, and so you know, people wouldn't really know me after the concert. They'd be like, well, who are you? And I'm like, I'm just the hired help. And so later, I became the fiance. Now, when you move into fiance status, it's a whole new thing, right? Like, you're kind of, then she's kind of like, well, this guy's sticking around, so I got the introduction as the Susie's fiance. But no one ever remember that my name was Sean. So at the end of the concert, they'd be like, oh, you're Susie's fiance. I'm like, yeah, you can just call me Mr. Susie. That's, how, that's what I go by. So you can just call me Mr. Susie. And, you know, but, but that's what they would remember. Introductions are important. They leave impressions on people. And how people remember you is how you get introduced. And in the story today... That's what we're going to talk about is the importance of introductions because introductions mattered to Jesus. If you look through the whole stories of the gospel, you will see him over and over in taking an introduction of someone to a subject or to him and taking the time with them and really letting them kind of bask in that and, and understand it. Now, in every encounter that Jesus made, I think that one of the things that I noticed about him throughout the Gospels, and especially in today's story, that when he introduced to someone, when there was an introduction happening, there is a baseline thing that Jesus presumed about humanity that drove every one of those introductions, every one of those conversations. And it was about the spirituality matters. It was about the part of spirituality. Now, here's what I think, here's where I think that comes from. I think Solomon penned it well in Ecclesiastics 3. And I think it's a presumption that Jesus made, and sometimes we overlook it. And as creator, I think that's why Jesus made it this way. This is the presumption. This is the way Solomon wrote it. He, that's God, God has also set eternity in the human heart. Like this is penned so well that when God created you and me and every other person on the planet, he set eternity in their heart. This search for eternity, this search for for God is set in their heart, and they can't help it. It is part of their life. It is part of what they're searching for, and even when they don't know it, there is something in them that is searching for it, and you know it. Now, maybe that's a new concept you never thought about, like everybody has put in their heart this search for God, that God designed us with this vacuum, this desire to know him. Maybe you have a friend that, you know, you when you consider like your friend, you're like, I don't know where they're at, but you know, even you, like 
you showed up to church or you decided that you needed something about God because underneath it just kind of bubbled up and you were willing to recognize that's what I'm searching for. And when you became aware of that, you began to follow it. Now, even people that I meet sometimes, they'll say, well, I don't believe in God. I think the right question for them is, like, well, tell me about the God you don't believe in. Let's just hypothetically say he exists. Tell me about him. And you know what I find out? I don't believe in the God that they believe in either, that they don't believe in, right? I'm like, I don't blame you for not believing in that God. He's mean. He's out to get you. He's withdrawn. He's all these things. And I'm like, "That's, that's not the God that I know. That's not the God that I've discovered because everyone is searching for God. And the other thing that I've noticed is no matter how many people I've talked to, when the matter of eternity is unsettled, so is the person. Did you ever see that? And so like When this matter of the search for God is unsettled, when they haven't settled that matter, they're pretty unsettled. There are people who are unsettled. There are people who will say things, I'll have conversations with them, they'll say stuff like, yeah, I'll say, well, you know, what's happening now that you're slowing down? They'll be in the hospital or something's going wrong and I'll be in their life and I'll, I'll talk to them like, well, I don't like when I have to slow down like this because bad things happen inside me. I'm not a nice person when I'm not busy. And I'm like, yeah, no, see, that's, that's actually the search that's welling up in you. Your soul is unsettled. And when you slow down, you just, you recognize it. You see it. Can we talk about that? That's what's going on. And so that's what was happening in Nicodemus's life too. And that's when That's the kind of point that we enter in the story today is Jesus came to settle these matters. Every introduction mattered to Jesus, and he made it count because he knew this is what you're searching for, and I'm just going to help you on that journey. And we can learn from the way Jesus approached Nicodemus because it's the way he approached a lot of other people too in Scripture. So we want to learn from that and say, how do we help this Lenten season to follow Jesus well by saying, I know that introductions are important. I know they're important. How do I make them count? Well, we can make our introductions count. You can follow along in your outline this morning by first creating a safe place for spiritual conversations to happen. This is what Jesus did. He created a safe place for spiritual conversations to happen all the time for people. He was approachable. He was doing all these miracles, doing all these things. You'd think he'd be rather unapproachable, and yet everyone who talked to him found him very approachable. They could have a safe conversation with Jesus. And as he and Nicodemus entered into that space, he wanted that too. Now, you all know what a conversation is, right? Let me, t- let me just say what we're talking about here with the conversation. There, a conversation um, become, you know, a spiritual conversation is about this unsettledness and how people are searching for it. It might not come up with terms of God and Jesus, but it comes up with terms of like all these feelings that are overwhelmed to somebody or a life situation that they're like, I don't know what to do with. I'm at the end of my rope. Those are some of the things that happen. But then there's this part that's a conversation. I just want to be clear about what a conversation looks like and feels like so that we're all on the same page. I hope I'm not going to offend anyone with this, but here it is, okay? Let me tell you some things that what conversations aren't. If you're the only one talking in a conversation, it's not a conversation, okay? So for those of you who with many words, i just just helping you understand that. Now, if you're married to that person with a lot of words, it's important to listen, okay, because they have a lot of words, and you need to be able to have that conversation. Part of that is the conversation. But if you're the only one talking, not a conversation. That's called a monologue, all right? Now, here's another thing that I think we count as conversation. It's not really conversation, not what Jesus meant by or what I mean by it this morning. Um, sometimes when we listen to someone, we're listening with the intent to reply. Like the whole time they're talking, we're thinking about how will I 
kind of reply back to this. We're not really listening. We're just kind of, how am I going to, what am I going to say next, right? That's not a conversation either. I think that's actually called a debate, right? That's what had two people get up on the platform, right? One says something, you, you, you know what I'm saying? That's a debate. That's not a conversation. A conversation is where you listen, and you listen with the intent to understand. And you may respond, and your response may be a question, but your whole goal is, I want to listen with the intent to understand. That creates a very safe place for people. When they know that you are listening with the intent to understand, not debate, not to monologue, but to understand. That creates safe places for people to have conversations with you. And the best kind of conversations are the ones that are spiritual because they're the ones that are most important. So here we have, let's jump into this story. This is what Jesus has done. He's created a safe place, and Nicodemus is coming to him. So I want to read this scripture. We're going to start in John chapter 3, verses 1 through 4. We're going to take a couple pauses in here because I want you to understand what's really going on. So now, there it says, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council, and he came to Jesus at night. Okay, let's pause for a second. Nicodemus is a Pharisee. Okay, now a Pharisee is someone who knows a lot of religious stuff. He is the religious of the religious. He's the person you think of that's like, wow, when I think of religious, that's the guy, right? Like, he's got a big Pope hat on, you know. I, he, he looks religious. He's got the gig. He's wearing the things. Like, I think if we were to think about this person in our culture, like, what would it feel like or look like to be around this person? There's a painting. The painting this week kind of says a lot about what it was like for Nicodemus, you know, kind of sitting on a stack of books, kind of reading the books. He knew a lot. He was well-respected because of what he knew. He knew all the stories about God. He, knew, he would know all of them. All the people he ran with would know these stories. And he was also on the Sanhedrin, which was a ruling council. He was an important guy with a lot of influence, probably one of the few people that was a Pharisee on the Sanhedrin. So they made him more special, like in terms of his religiosity. He was very religious. I mean, you would think this guy knows what he's talking about when it comes to God. But he comes to Jesus at night because all of his friends spend all their time antagonizing Jesus. And so he comes to Jesus at night. Why? Because he doesn't want a debate. He doesn't want a monologue. He wants a conversation. And Jesus engages him in it. So we pick up at verse 2. It says, He came to Jesus at night and he said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher that you, that, who has come from God. For no one can perform signs that you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, Truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. How can someone be born again when they are old? Nicodemus asked. Surely they cannot enter into the second time until their mother's womb and be born. And so there's this thing going on for Nicodemus, right? Jesus does this thing that he's really good at. You're like, oh man, he's good at that. Like he just kind of points something out that someone goes, what? Huh? But not like I'm walking away, but like, Help me understand that a little. It intrigues them a little bit with this. Jesus is creating the safe place for a conversation, for an exchange of ideas to happen that Nicodemus can then consider. And so Nicodemus comes to him and he says, hey, I, I know that you're from God, but I also know all this knowledge. And I would think that because I have all this knowledge, I would feel connected with God. I would, I would be able to explain what's happening with you, but I can't. I can't explain it. There's something about you I cannot explain and I have not experienced and I want it 
and I need it. So Jesus says, well, you got to be born again. You, you have to be born anew. You have to have a new, whole new way approach to this. This is what Nicodemus needed. He needed someone to create a safe place for him because he was searching. He wasn't satisfied. He was like this guy that's waking up from sleeping, and he's trying to figure out what is going on. So Jesus uses a familiar concept to help him understand that. Maybe you remember when you were there, when you were at that point where you were waking up spiritually, like, I think like something, what I thought was real doesn't seem like it really is real, and that's totally messing with me, and I need a different way. And maybe you're there now, and that's okay. That's a good thing to stay there. Don't run from that. Stay there. These are the places where we actually get to know God. When that happens in us, that's where Nicodemus is. And so Jesus doesn't put him off. He doesn't go, oh, are you kidding me? Like, you don't, how could you, like, ah. He's not disgusted by it. Nicodemus doesn't run from it. Instead, Jesus recognizes this is a spiritual conversation. It needs a safe place for it to happen for him. And what I find interesting is that Jesus doesn't use a lot of words that he could have used. He doesn't tell Nicodemus a parable. He told a lot of parables in his day. When he told a parable, he told a story. It would often illustrate something that no one really got about God's kingdom, about who God was, and people would scratch their heads and they'd go, eh? Like, what, what, like his disciples would come to him, and they're, they're like with him all the time, and they're like, uh, you know that story you told? We don't get it. And he was always having to re-explain to them, well, here's, here's what it means. Here's what you need to get out of it. And they go, oh! Oh, that's what it means. So Jesus with Nicodemus doesn't do that. He, instead, he uses some concepts that Nicodemus is familiar with. And he says, come along. See, you know what it's like to be born, Nicodemus, right? Well, you need to be born again spiritually. And we're going to talk about what that actually meant in that day. But he says, you need to be born again. You need a new way of looking at this stuff. And Nicodemus goes, oh. So we think about when someone comes to you and they want to have a spiritual conversation are you tempted to use, like, are there churchy words that you might not even be aware of that you use that throw them off, that don't help them? Like, for example, there, there are, some of you are very aware of this, right? Because your Jesus experience wasn't, like, you didn't grow up in the church, so you're very aware, like, when someone uses a churchy word, you're like, what? That doesn't even make any sense to me. But some of you don't. Like, you just you use them to become part of your vernacular, and other people go, what, huh? And it's very intimidating to someone when you use a churchy word, or it's confusing. Like, for example, did, I don't know if you know this, but in the churchy world, okay, there's this term sold out, right? Anybody ever heard this term sold out in the churchy world? Okay, in churchy world, sold out is something good. Like, if you're sold out, it's like, wow, that guy's really sold out. Jeez, that's, that's a good thing. But to everybody else in the world, you know what sold out means? <laughs> yeah, it's not good, right? It's not a good thing to be sold out. Or here's another example. Like when, when someone says, when you hear in the churchy world, the spirit was really moving, do you know what that really means? The church service went really long, right? So when someone says to me, the spirit was really moving today, I know what they mean. I, I went too long in my message. That's, that's basically, like, could you preach shorter next time? The spirit, I know the spirit was moving, but could you preach shorter, please? That, that, that's another churchy word. Like we have words that we use. I remember when my kids were first discovering Jesus as little kids, and someone had told them like Jesus was in their heart, and they had they were like, like they literally like looking under their shirts for like where like is Jesus like can I see him like how's he fit in there, Dad? Like how's he fit in my heart? Like I was I, he just a little Jesus? Like you know like little baby Jesus? So they, you got to ask like what are the words that I'm using and are they familiar to the person? Can they help this person with something familiar to them? 
it's important for us to be aware of our language. And so Jesus is very much aware of the language that he uses with Nicodemus. And so he uses these words of birth because it's something that Nicodemus would be familiar with, this idea of birth, because introductions matter. And when you're introducing something to someone, it is important for them to understand the words that you use. And when you, I think the other thing that's important to recognize about this conversation that we can observe from what Jesus is doing to Nicodemus, you notice Jesus doesn't do all the talking. You see that? Like, it's not a monologue. It is really tempting for me sometimes, and I've done this before. When someone has asked me a conversation, I've been praying for them. I've wanted them to, like, have a spiritual conversation. They bring something up with me, and I feel like this is my shot, and I probably never will get another chance again. So I beep, beep, beep. I back up the truck. Like, the entire, like, everything, right? And I'm a preacher, so I got three points. I got a poem. There's an end song and an altar call with them. And, and what I guarantee by the time I'm done is they will never have another spiritual conversation with me because who would want that, right? So it's important for us to understand that this is a journey that we take with people, that God is doing the work in them, and we just need to be a part of that by providing a safe place for them to have an actual conversation. Now, I want you to be able to understand how important this is and how good it is. And this is, happens all the time. And the question is, when do you get to be a part of it? And sometimes you don't get to be a part of all the end of the story. Like Jesus wasn't part of the end of Nicodemus' story, but it was a part of the beginning. But if you'll walk with people and you'll create a safe place, sometimes you get to see the incredible fruit of that. So we're going to watch a story today by, from, Brian Hall, or from Brian Smith and Carl Hollander, a little bit about their journey and the conversations that happen and how God used it. Let's tune in and watch. In or around December 2012, I made a specific decision to take God to work with me. Something that I've been trying to figure out how to do for quite a while. It happened that one of my sons was going to be baptized in December, and I wanted to invite several of my coworkers to the baptism, so I did that. The day before the baptism, I was planning to go to a shooting range with Brian, one of the co-workers that I invited. I didn't think he knew what baptism was or what this was all about, so I thought it would be a good idea to uh, fill him in on what baptism is and why we do it and why we believe in it. And pretty much I told him the entire story of God as we uh, were headed to the uh, shooting range. So at the end of the monologue... Brian just looks at me like this, look, cool story. Uh, So should I not go to the baptism? Of course I wanted him to go to the baptism. So I said, yes, let's, I want you to go to the baptism. And I told you the story so you you had some understanding. Prior to November 31st, 2013, I wasn't a Jesus follower. I didn't know who he was. I didn't know his story. And I really didn't care. I came from a divorced family. My parents uh, basically let me raise myself. I had very little support and leadership in my life, and I really assumed that I could get by on my own. I went to the baptism anyway, and I experienced emotion and fellowship and family that I didn't know existed. I I can't explain it, but the feeling I had was, was incredible. God placed Brian on my heart to pray for him because I believed that Brian needed to meet Jesus. So I prayed for Brian. The, the, the prayers started out pretty simple, pretty plain. That didn't seem to be working. And, you know, I, I believe that P1 
people aren't going to change unless there's something that drives that change, something that makes the pain of not changing greater than the pain of the change. So at some point I started praying that Brian would just not have any rest until he sought Jesus. Late in November 2013, I was sitting in church and received a text message for Brian. Immediately I'm thinking, um, God, is this what I prayed for? Now what am I supposed to do? My girlfriend Ashley and I were involved in a bad car accident. We were traveling at night on, high, on a highway at highway speeds and a pedestrian in dark colored clothes ran out in front of me. I struck the pedestrian and as soon as it was over, I got out of my vehicle to, to try to provide comfort and support for the person that had just been hit, but it was too late. It's hard to exp explain, but the best way is that I didn't know how I was going to see tomorrow. I didn't know how I was going to continue, continue life as I knew it. Brian came back to work on Tuesday of that week, and because I was his supervisor, and because the vehicle that was involved in the accident was a company-owned vehicle, there were some business details that we had to work out. When I met him in his office, I wrestled with the thought, do I just deal with the business at hand, or do I help Brian deal with the spiritual condition that he's in? This time in my conversation with Brian, I prayed and, and asked the Holy Spirit to guide my conversation with him. And I felt like God was saying, now's the time, Carl. Just listen, and I'll give you the words to say. So as we sat there and talked, I told Brian about Jesus and that he came to rescue us from the hurt and the pain that we're in. And Brian was in that hurt and pain. I told Brian that I believed that Jesus wanted to rescue him from his pain, and that he actually came and died on the cross and rose again to rescue him from his pain. It was like a, a very spiritual moment. I didn't think of it at that time as spiritual, but the second Carl mentioned Jesus, I, I could focus on something other than the accident. I could see something other than what had happened several nights before and, and, and remember that feeling. And um, even if it was for a short window, I was able to, to focus on something other than the terrible misfortune that had happened. Carl asked me if I would accept Jesus as the leader of my life. Um, I said yes, and we prayed, we hugged, and we heard angels parting in heaven. At least that's what Carl had written on Facebook that day. I invited Brian back to Daybreak again, and I actually insisted that he come back to Daybreak, and he accepted. Ashley and I were shocked about how the message touched our lives immediately. We, we walked away thinking, how could this get any more perfect for us? God had been strategically placing people and events in my life, pointing me toward Christ. It took a lot of courage that day to talk to Brian in his office about surrendering to Jesus, but it's a joy that I want to experience over and over again. Ashley and I are members and regular attenders at Daybreak. Our walk with Jesus is unique in its own way, and we hold very close to our hearts the opportunity that Carl took from God to point us in the direction of Jesus. 
even if it was at the office. You know, one of the, uh, one of the really cool privileges that I've had is just because I know Carl well and I've gotten to walk with Brian in the beginning parts of his journey. I remember, I remember Brian describing this like a year or so ago, this moment in the office. And he said, I just like my whole world was dark. Like my mind was dark. I was desperate. I didn't, I just, my whole world was like an end. And the mention of Jesus' name from Carl, it's like, my mind was filled with light. Like I could see light for the first time. And it was like, he's like, I could not explain the difference. It was like, poof. He's like, and I knew it had to be God. I knew it. I got the privilege of uh, officiating he and Ashley's wedding this past Saturday. And it was so beautiful. So beautiful because he knows what it means to follow Jesus now. His life is filled with good things, with goodness. He's not just a kind person now. He's a kind person who knows why God made him and who has a purpose in life. And his search for Jesus is like, I know now what my life is really intended to be. And it is so good. And Carl talks about like, don't you want that joy? Don't you want that joy from the other people in your life that you know that they're searching for God? There's, there's questions they need to ask. Don't you want the joy of just being there in that moment, creating a safe place for that conversation to happen? When my kids were young, and some of you who are parents, you might, you might have experienced this here. You ever been awakened to the stare down? You, you, you know what I mean? Okay, so, if, so those of you who don't parents, like you're laying in bed, you're asleep totally, and your child stands over you like this, like a zombie, right? And you're like, and, and you all of a sudden just feel like someone's watching you, and it is startling, right? You're like, <gasps> like you, you don't, I, you've got the stare down, and it's happened. Or you got the knees and the chest in the morning, like, hey! get up it's time to get up you know what that's like it's pretty startling people need a safe place to have this conversation that's not rushed that's not started they don't need to get the stare down they don't need to get the everything at once they just need you to be present to be watchful for what god is about to do and then just cooperate don't worry about messing up i've messed up plenty of times myself god makes up for all that that's the best part about serving god right this is about god's story he made you do your best, God will do the rest. So you just have that conversation, create that place, know that they're matter, and know that that introduction matters. So just, just make it count by making it safe, making it a safe place. And then I want to take, take a look at this second part of the story because there's not just creating a safe place for the conversation to happen was important to Jesus, but the second thing was also important to Jesus that we can learn from him, and that's you want to make it count, you make it count by noticing where people are and then inviting them to take a closer look at God. You notice where they are, and then you invite them like, will you just take a closer look? This is what Jesus did with Nicodemus. This is what we do with people. People are very unique. Their journeys are unique. And so we need to say, what is it about them? I shouldn't just expect that they're going to have the same experience as me. What is it about them that God is doing right now that they're, str- they're grappling with it for themselves? What do I need to notice so I can invite them to something new? And so we pick up the story in John chapter 3, verse 5, where Jesus is answering back. Nicodemus, remember, is a little confused about this whole, you got to be born again. Like, what, do I have to go in the back of my mother's womb? This doesn't make sense. And so Jesus picks the conversation back up, and he says, Jesus answered, Very truly, I tell you, 
No one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water and the Spirit. You see, Nicodemus, flesh gives birth to flesh. but The Spirit gives birth to Spirit. You should not be surprised at what I'm saying, that you must be born again. So Jesus takes this common concept of birth, and he says, Nicodemus, you know a lot of things. Your whole life is built on knowing. But the problem is, you're not alive to God. And that's what I'm inviting. You should be surprised that you need to be alive to God, that you need to be born spiritually. See, he knows, he's noticed this about Nicodemus. Nicodemus is a Jewish man, a Jewish leader, a Pharisee from the Sanhedrin, and he thinks that being born Jewish makes him more godly. Like going to church would make you a Christian. Like, like anything else, you're like, well, oh, well, this is the way I am. I see I know a lot, so I, I must know God. But Nicodemus knows that that's not true, or he wouldn't have come to seek out Jesus. If he thought that was true, he wouldn't need Jesus, but he knew he was searching for something more. He had this disparity in his life. He comes to Jesus, and Jesus says, yes, you're right, Nicodemus, and what you're looking for is to be born again, is to have a new way of entering in. He is waking up spiritually, and Jesus just invites him, will you take a closer look at this? Take a closer look at what's going on in you for a second, Nicodemus. When someone comes to you, do you notice where they're at, what's going on with them? Or do you just kind of like have a conversation? Do you notice where they're at when they want to have a spiritual conversation? Are you noticing what they're going to be familiar with? Do you know what their presumptions are about God? Do you know what their history is in faith? Because these are all important things to know. And unlike Jesus, we're, we're probably not quite as good as him at this. So we ask questions. Sometimes our questions are much better than our answers. You know, people are always worried about, I think, in this space of like, well, what if I don't have the right answer? Maybe you just need the right question. Maybe you just need to ask a good question and help someone else discover for themselves what they're really looking for. And in doing that, you give the best gift of all, helping them see what they can't see, helping them see what's that search, what they're looking for is inside them. And so Jesus tells Nicodemus, you're going to be born of the water and the spirit. In other words, you're going to be, flesh gives birth to flesh, but you've got to be done. Born of water is like John's repentance baptism. Like you've got to be done with something in the past. You need to, Nicodemus, you based your whole life on this old way. How's that old way look working for you? Don't you want, I know you're looking for something new. Here's the new way. The new way is be born again. Born again actually in Greek means born from above. It means both born again and born from above. It means born of the Spirit. So that's what he's actually inviting him to, is to be born from the Spirit. Because Jesus knows these introductions matter. You need to be able to cue in on some things. So here's some things, some little, some bonus this morning, for some cues that I heard someone talk about once. I was like, that's really good. Some cues that as you're going through life and you meet people, when you hear these things, they're cues to say, Oh, that's one of the three knots that would tell me that this person is very much more aware of their search and they might be ready for a spiritual conversation. Here's the first one. When you hear someone says, I'm not ready for that. I wasn't ready for that. Like, I wasn't ready. I got married. I'm just not ready for that. Like, marriage is coming, but I'm not ready for that. Or I just had to have this move. I took this move in life. Or I had a kid. I'm just not ready for that. Any of those, those are cues for you. That not ready for that is a cue. They know that they're searching for something. They're feeling a little bit like out of their league, and they might be ready to recognize that that search, that they need God in their search, that that's going to help them. Second cue that's really good, the second knot of the three knots, is it's, it's not going well, not going well. Then you hear not going well, like, man, I'm, I'm in the hospital, or 
things aren't going well in my marriage or with my friend or with my job. When you hear the not going well, that's another place where people go, I'm starting to recognize I need some help. And it might be time for a spiritual conversation to create a safe place, to ask some good questions, to invite them in. And the third one, well, that just kind of makes sense. And that's, I'm not going to church. When someone brings that up with you, like I'm not going to church anywhere, it's a good time to guess what? Maybe invite them to come to your church. Like all of those places are places for you to make an investment into somebody, to have a conversation with someone, but also to invite them to church. I mean, you go to a church where I hope that you feel like anytime someone comes, we want like, it doesn't matter whether you're new on the journey, you, have, you don't know Jesus yet, or you've been walking with Jesus for a long time. When you come here on Sunday, we want you to experience God in a new way. And I hope that you know that we roll out the red carpet to make that happen. And so invite someone. If, invite someone to experience it for themselves. To just come and say, like, hey, we talk about that kind of stuff at church all the time. Why don't you come and actually hear something? They might not know anything about what church looks like, okay? They may have had a a whole horrible experience at church, and you just need to let them know, like, why don't you just try it? Why don't you just come? Or maybe it's just time for a conversation, and that will be a later time. But recognize these knots, these cues of when these come up, that it's time for a spiritual conversation. Create a safe place to have time to do that. Now, with Nicodemus and Jesus, what I love about this conversation is if you read verses 8 through 15, you will find Jesus revisiting other places that Nicodemus knew, things that were familiar to Nicodemus that would have made sense to him, that would have helped him go like, oh, maybe you mean that. Oh, maybe you mean that. And they're all waking him up to like new life. So Jesus uses the wind, and the wind would have been an example that Nicodemus would have thought, ah, that's probably Ezekiel Ezekiel 37 when there's a valley of dry bones and God's spirit is the wind and comes through and the bones come to life. Oh, I need to come to life. I need a new way of living. That would be a great way for him to help take that knowledge and convert it to experience. And he would have gone on, he would have talked to Jesus about Moses, and Moses was a hero, and so he, he told him that story. These were always with Jesus being relentless about, I want you to have an experience, not just knowledge, but an experience. I'm inviting you to take a closer look with God and maybe an experience with God. So when you, someone comes to you, don't be afraid to invite them to church or to invite them to check out a resource. Maybe it's a book. Maybe it's a chapter of a book. Maybe it's a passage of Scripture. You say, well, why don't you just check this out? You don't have to make them do it. You don't have to do everything for them. You just provide it for them and say, why don't you check this out? Or maybe the resource is you. Maybe you just invite them to another conversation. Hey, can we, can we talk about this again sometime? Seems like it's kind of important to you. Those are all places that we can invite and continue the conversation just like Jesus. Now, Jesus ends this whole conversation with one of the most famous Bible verses in Scripture, one that even people that aren't real familiar with church often know. It's John 3.16, and here it is. This is, this is how he basically invites uh, Nicodemus into, you need to experience life with me. He says, John 3.16, For God so loved the world, that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his, get this now, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And whoever believes is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have believed in the name of God's one and only son. See, this is at the heart of the gospel. The heart of the gospel is this. There is good news. 
God is not mad at you. God is not angry with you. God has not withdrawn himself from you. In fact, God came to the earth and made it possible for you to have a relationship with him. He is for you. He loves you. He's not out to get you and condemn you. He's here to offer forgiveness and a new start and a fresh way of living. And we all need that experience in our own lives. If you've ever felt like, hey, I failed or I'm damaged or I can't do it and I'm not good enough, good. Because that's what God says, I don't care. I love you. I've known this about you all your life, and it's okay. That's the whole point. You come to me, and we'll take care of that together. We'll work on that together. See, you need my power. That's all part of the search. Have you ever had bad news to bear to someone? When I have teenagers, and when my teenagers in the morning aren't getting out of bed to get on the bus on time, I get bad news to bear to them, right? And I kind of grip my teeth before I have to go in and say, guys, you got to get rolling. Like, you got to get out of bed. There's no, Dad, why are you doing? Like, it's always like, right? It's like an explosion there, and it's not a pleasant experience. But this week, every day, I came with good news. An hour earlier than they were supposed to get up, I came with good news, and they loved it. Guys, there's a delay. Yeah! Back to sleep, right? Like, they were so excited. Guys, school's canceled today. Yeah! Like, it was, it was thrilling to them. I love bearing good news when I know it's good news. Sometimes we resist inviting others. Sometimes we resist this int- making those introductions because we don't know if it's good news. We don't know if it's good news. And I need you to step back for a second and just remember the good news. God is for you. I need you just to sit for a second and experience that for yourself. So we're just going to sing a song together. I want you to sit with it. Maybe you want to sing with it. But I want you to remember and play back in your mind the good things, the good news that God has for you. He is for you. He loves you. He calls you the beloved. And when you know that, it is like being in the desert, feeling your thirst, touching the wet sand and realizing there was water there, and you just want to dig for more and more so you can discover that water and give it away. And this is the good news of the gospel. So will you sit with it, and will you sing with it, and will you enjoy it for a second?
Jesus, I am more grateful than I've ever been that he calls me his loved son. I know it more than I've ever known it. That's good news. You know, as we were talking in the green room and Jeff was joking about singing that song and how, like, as he's singing it, it was practice, the film strips going off in his head of all the journey that he's taken up to then and how Jesus has called him out and been faithful to him even when he wasn't even understanding it all. Like, that is the journey that Jesus wants to take you on. If you've never been on that journey, then keep journaling with, journey with us because I'm telling you, it is worth it. It is good news. And I know that you all have people in your life that you want to know that good news. And we make introductions all the time, and yet sometimes we get a little uptight about this particular introduction, about introducing someone to Jesus. We get a little bit, oh, I don't know if I can do that or should do that or how am I going to do that. But we make introductions all the time. I mean, if you, if you knew it was good for your kid to meet a coach who could help him. Wouldn't you make the introduction? We do it all the time. People matchmake. Some of you are great matchmakers, right? You have matchmade people. You'd be like, hey, you need to go out with that guy or that girl because, man, they're going to be good for you. Someone did that for me. And look, I, I actually scored pretty well. Much scored outside my league. I mean, th- this, is, this is what happens when we make introductions and we know how important they are. So make the introduction. Be ready for it because God wants to help. God wants to pursue people. Now, sometimes you get to be there for the beginning of it. You know, in Nicodemus' story, Jesus was just there in the beginning. But do you know the end of Nicodemus' story? Read the other chapters in between. At the end of John, you will find Nicodemus standing up for Jesus at the Sanhedrin when they want to crucify him, and he says, no, this is wrong. They overrule him, but you find him standing alone because he knows Jesus. And do you know whose tomb Jesus' body was put in, Nicodemus. Now, I don't even think he knew that it was just a rental at the time, but he, he gave it up just for Jesus. Like, this guy is following him. He changed everything in his life. Don't you want that to happen for you and for others? To experience the changes that Jesus gives, to know his goodness. This prayer that Carl talked about what he was praying for Brian. It actually comes from St. Augustine, that we are restless until we find rest in God. This is the prayer that we ought to be praying over our friends, that we ought to be breaking our hearts over. May our friends be restless until they find rest in God, until they find what it means to know and love Jesus and be changed by him. May they be restless. Who's in your life? Whose picture comes in your mind that you know, man, I wish they would find rest in God? I wish that this matter that's unsettled could become settled for them and they would change, that anger would become peace and that frustration would become joy and that they would know what it means 
to be with God. Who's in your mind? Who are you praying for? Because God is thinking about them too. And you might just be the person who invites them and introduces them in a way that they can get it, that they can understand. So I just want to take a minute and pray. Pray for us and even pray for you if this is new to you and you're going, ah, I think this is my new to me. Maybe even today is your day to say, I, I want to start a new journey with Jesus. And that's okay. We invite you to He is. It is good news. So let's stop and pray for a moment. Lord Jesus, thank you for showing us over and over that introductions matter. Not something to be feared because it's good news and that you've planted a deep desire in every person's heart for eternity, to search for you, to be known by you. People are waking up spiritually around us all over the place, and you give us the privilege of helping them experience the loving, forgiving God of the universe who wants to give them a fresh start and change their lives for good. So God, just help us to be ready, ready for safe conversations, to make places safe, ready to notice where there are, to ask good questions, to just invite them to come along on the journey with us, to maybe tell our story, a little bit of our story, and how Jesus has changed us. And today, God, for anyone that's here who knows that they want the good news, that this matter of eternity, this matter of God, the relationship with God is unsettled in them, may they know that it only takes one step, not to understand it all, just to know, Jesus I need you and I want to follow you. I want you to be, lead my life because I know that your way is a better way. So teach me how to do that. That's all it takes. And that begins a new journey with you. I pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. So this morning, um, they're gonna, the musicians are going to play a great worship song. And while they're doing it, I'm back in the back. You all turn around and look. They see that white prayer wall thing on the wall back there. A couple weeks ago, um, we, we, two or three weeks ago, we, we invited some of you guys to go back and write on that wall, and maybe some of you wrote some names. Maybe that day you didn't have a name, and maybe today you do. And if you've already written on the wall, maybe today there's a new name. Or maybe you just want to go back and revisit that for a moment, get up out of your chair and have an experience, not just the knowledge of what you did, but the experience of it, and pray over that person again. Maybe today you know that. You know there's a new name, and you need to go back and write it, or a new prayer for someone that you care about. May they be restless until they find rest in God. Today, don't just sit. Go experience God. Go be part of what was most important to Jesus, that people might settle this matter. They might know the God that can transform their lives. So take the time over this next few minutes and consider there's your response card, and if you have a prayer request, you can write that right on there. If you have a prayer for someone else, write it back there so that we can all pray over it together.